You're listening to the Artisan Adventures Podcast, brought to you by Ocelot Market, headquartered in the great city of New Orleans, Louisiana, and hosted by Ocelot's lead, Michaela. Each week, we chat with professionals working in the sustainability space and brands working with small handmade makers around the globe. The brands we chat with are all paying a fair wage, changing the world through conscious consumption, and maintaining cultural traditions in their production. Thank you for joining us. My hope is that you'll find inspiration and fascination in these unique stories. If you like what you hear, the best gift you can give us is leaving a review, subscribing to this podcast, and spreading the word about Ocelot Market. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope you enjoy the show. Today I'm speaking with Colin Schwartz, who is the head of DoneGood.com, which is an online marketplace for ethical purchasing. I'm fortunate that our paths crossed in the marketplace world, and hoping, Colin, that you'll kick us off on the podcast by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came came about building DoneGood. Yeah, sure. Um, well, when I was in college, I was in, involved in a number of different like progressive organizations, you know, as you do sometimes, you know, when you're on, when you're on campus and we were at that time, I'll date myself a little bit, you know, protesting the Iraq war and, you know, and, and a variety of other things. But one group I got really involved with was called United Students Against Sweatshops. And that was during that first wave of, you know, now we call it ethical and sustainable fashion or something before it was just anti sweatshop, right? And we had chapters across the country and we would get our universities to establish a code of conduct in their apparel contracts. So when a company was bidding to make the university's licensed apparel, so all the hoodies that go in all the bookstores and anything else, any clothing that or, or whatever that had the uh, university's logo on it, they would have to demonstrate to bid on the contract. They'd have to demonstrate that they're you know paying decent wages, above poverty wages, uh, had safe working conditions, no forced overtime over a certain number of hours, no child traffic labor. And, you know, companies would want to be, make sure they were in compliance with that because these university contracts were a ton of money. So that was my first exposure to the idea that, like, consumers and consumer spending, you know, that's a that's a really powerful force for change, for, for you know, social and environmental justice. And, you know, there's some of the traditional ones, right, like public policy, you know, voting, and getting politicians to act, or, you know, donating or working for or volunteering with nonprofits. What about this other one? <laughs> you know what I mean, like this, this is a huge, uh, a huge potential form of activism that could really have a huge impact. And you do it with like large institutional buyers like universities or, or businesses. But if you got a large number of individuals together, then they could wield a ton of power too, right? Like if we all shift, you know, if a large number of us shift our spending, then we can encourage businesses to, to change their behavior. And then that means a real impact in people's lives, like better wages, people lifting themselves out of poverty, more eco-friendly practices. And, that was, you know, I had this, an idea about this even back in college. But then as you do, you know, you get your first job out of college. I, I was working in politics and I ended up getting a career in politics. So I was uh, down in D.C. And, and would do campaigns around the country sometimes. And so I was a communications director for a couple members of the Senate. My last job was in the Obama administration as a you know communications advisor. And then, but still during that whole time, I kept thinking about this other theory of change and how consumer spending can be this powerful tool for change. And, you know, after a while in politics, you just, you know, the change comes so slowly and things are so gridlocked and you feel like you're beating your head against the wall, fighting the other side to an endless tie. And I said, look, I really do think that the, that a more powerful potential avenue for change is consumer spending and getting people to wield their consumer power to help make the world better. And so, but I, you know, there was a need to make that easier. And so, you know, I quit my career about six years ago, 2015, 
and started Done Good so we could help make it easy for people to use their purchasing power to support brands that are doing good for people on the planet. Awesome. Okay. So I'm, I'm like wondering where to go next. I think I'm going to bounce around with these questions. So I guess when you think about the brands that you guys bring on for Done Good, I know you have like a long questionnaire on the site. And then there's a little bit of a process <laughs> afterwards for whether or not you select the brands. How do you sort of how do you select the vendors you end up working with in terms of vetting them? Are there certain certifications that stand out that are automatically like, yep, they're in? Or what does it mean when a brand has no certifications? It's the general like vetting process. Yeah, right. So we're in short, we're looking for brands that do good for people on the planet. But so what we mean by that, when we say do good for people, we're looking for brands that are paying living wages, that are making and producing in safe working conditions, free of child and traffic labor, things like that. And truly like empowering workers with living wages, economic independence, and you know, then therefore really helping people lift themselves out of poverty. And then on, you know, good for the planet. To us, that is being way more eco-friendly than the big name counterpart in your industry. And that part can take different forms, right? Like some of the brands we work with are big companies that are, you know, using, powering their facilities, their production facilities with clean energy, recycling water in their plant, using non-toxic dyes, using other eco-friendly materials, things like that. But then... Some of other brands might be like a small company making dog collars out of upcycled cowboy boots out of a small facility garage. You know what I mean? And so that was actually interesting. You know, when we first started, we were like, we're not going to make any subjective value judgments. We're only going to look at independent certifying organizations and we'll create some sort of done good score and some kind of algorithm. And then we'll you know, give, give a score on environment and workers and other issues. And then we'll give an overall score and very, you know, very left brain, very tech company, very, you know, like equation, math equation. And we just found that like, actually, when you're trying to define what's good, it's subjective. It's not objective. Right. And so like, right. Like who would get the better environmental score, that company that's making the the dog collars that have upcycled cowboy boots. I mean, the only carbon footprint of that whole thing is like the light bulb on in the garage and they're taking waste out of that would otherwise go in the waste stream. So they probably have like, you know, maybe a net negative carbon footprint. But meanwhile, the other company is doing really innovative things to help, you know, move an industry forward and be an example and show how, you know, the fashion industry could, could do things better. And so I don't know how you score that. Right? And so, so instead we decided we do still look to independent certifying uh, organizations to, to help speed the process. Like if someone is B Corp certified and, or, you know, rainforest Alliance certified and fair trade certified and other things, then we can, you know, kind of certify them faster. But we realized, well, one, we, a lot of companies weren't certified, but they're still amazing. And so we said, we're going to have to make some judgments ourselves. We can't rely solely on independent you know, third-party certifying organizations. And forget giving the score. We're going to tell the story of our brands and what they're doing. We just will say, look, this company is making the dog collars out of upcycled cowboy boots. And this one is powering their facility on clean energy and recycling their plant using eco-friendly materials and all this. So, and then our users can decide, you know, people who come to Done Good can be like, oh, you know, they know what the company is doing. We don't have to put a number on it. <laughs> so we just tell stories. Stories, not data is our is our mantra now. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Is there ever a time when you sort of get an application and they check all the boxes, but you are like, I don't know that we could ever sell this? Might be a weird question, but I no, have, no, I, I, no. I feel like I'm running into that more and more now with our marketplace. 
Yeah, no, I hear I hear what you're saying because, and yeah, as we've been around longer and more time and all this, we do know more about like what sells well. And so, of course, you do want to list those brands too because, I mean, we need to stay alive and stay around. You know what I mean? If we're going to continue our work to support these social impact brands and to keep making it easy for people to shop with these kinds of companies. We want to make sales. We want to grow. We want to be, and the more we grow, the more we grow our impact, the more dollars we can divert, consumer dollars we can divert to brands that are making the world better. So we, we want to do that. So that does mean, you know, selling stuff. And look, just for our users, we want to present stuff that is cool and they might like. And I guess so, you know, over the years we do know more about what that might be. So yeah, that that is something that gets factored in. I don't know that we've had too much of like a brand who's crushing it, who applied. And I'll say at the beginning, we were like, just anyone. You know what I, mean? I mean, if they've made our social impact threshold, sort of nothing else mattered. And I, I don't know that we're denying too many brands. I will say definitely like, you know, some brands are applying and then some we're seeking out. And now when we seek out brands, we are both looking for what might sell well. And, and I will say, I guess just overall product quality. I mean, it's if the product doesn't seem like a, a quality product, then, you know, we don't want to sell that to our users either, right? That is, that's all part of it. I mean, that's as much as like the social and the, you know, ESG metrics, the social environmental and governments, the, you know, what's your impact on the planet? What, what are you paying people? I mean, are you making a good product? Both because, you know, look, we want people who shop on our site to get good products and not feel like they got something that sucks. But also, I mean, that is part of all this is if you buy something that's high quality, it lasts longer. It means you can buy less stuff and that means less stuff in the landfill. I mean, we always try to talk to our, our users, our customer base, through our communications about like buying stuff that you truly love, buying stuff that you truly need and buying stuff that'll last a long time so that you can buy less overall. And, you know, I think that's important to realize too, because a lot of times stuff in the space costs more, certainly than what you can get at, you know, H&M or Walmart or whatever, right? Because well, if you're paying people well and you're using eco-friendly materials and practices, that usually costs more for the business to produce that way. So it costs more to the to the customer. But if you're buying stuff that's high quality and will last longer, we always say the cheapest thing is not necessarily the best deal, right? Like I can buy something that at H&M for 20 bucks, but it disintegrates and I got to buy a new one every year. Or I can buy something that's done good for 60, but it lasts five, eight, 10 years, that's the, the $50 thing is the better deal. And it also made a better impact on the planet. So, and people. So, um, so yeah, look, you know, quality matters. Absolutely. Well, one of my questions to you was going to be, what do you think of when people say done good is like the Amazon for good purchasing? But I feel like there's also another layer of this based on just kind of what we were talking about, where it's like, because you guys have such a vetting process, it's sort of like you also kind of have this done good seal of product inherent. Because I'm pretty sure I could go on Amazon and list my sunglasses if I have a white background in like five seconds right now and just certify that I'm a that I'm allowed to sell these. What do you think of when people say done good is the Amazon of good purchasing? Yeah, look, I guess the first thing I think of is, I mean, that just is a good way for people to get what we're doing, right? When we say Forbes called us the Amazon for social good, we're like, Okay, I got it. You know, you're a shopping platform where I can buy a lot of different products and a lot of different product categories. And that's, you know, we have clothing, home goods, like bed sheets and mattresses and blankets and, you know, kitchen stuff, you know, cups and plates and hand towels and things like that. All the way, you know, food, coffee. So it's a wide array of, of products. And, but yeah, we, but we screen all the brands to make sure they're having a, you know, really positive social environmental impact. And so I like it in that respect. There's, there, you know, I have for once in a while, I was like, well, do you even want to be associated with Amazon in the same breath? And like, well, I hope that 
when you know it's like Forbes called us the Amazon for social good. People know we're not like Amazon in the bad way. Like that, you know, not only the brands that we have on the site, you know, we screen them for good social environmental impact. We're also not not allowing pregnant women to go to the bathroom or, you know, the drivers who are peeing in bottles or, you know, the, the high injury rates and like all, all this stuff that you hear about uh, at Amazon, the way they abuse their workers and stuff. I mean, obviously we're we're a certified B Corp too, right? And uh, we're a public benefit corporation too. So like we we also ourselves are a good social impact brand. That also means like, you know, we don't yet have the free two-day shipping, right? And like, I don't know if we ever will. We do want it to like, we like Amazon, we do want to make the shopping experience as convenient as possible, finding all these brands in one place. And we want to, over time, increasingly decrease shipping time and, you know, just convenience and, you know, all, all of that. We might never get to Amazon level because we're not never going to like, you know, kill workers. So, <laughs> you know? I mean, look, like I said, I think it's a good, um, I think it's a good summary of, of what we do. I don't think because it's Amazon for social good, I don't think people associate the, uh, the bad stuff with us. And then, yeah, look, in terms of what you were saying about the brands, I mean, it is, it's really easy for brands to hook up to our site. I mean, it's like 10 or 15 minutes work and they really don't have to do anything else. Right. We just orders are placed on our site and then that automatically goes into their existing fulfillment process. You know, the inventory, their inventory is automatically synced with our site something's marked out of stock on on their site it's out of stock on our site so it's not too hard in that respect it is pretty easy for brands to kind of plug in and and sell and done good but yeah you got to go through the social impact screening process otherwise and then that's that's why people are shopping on done good is because we've gone through that process so we still try to not make that you know too laborious or take too long but it still has to be enough that we that we feel confident telling our users that you're that you're doing good yeah. And you guys are definitely a part of that process. Whereas like, I can't say I've tried to list something on Amazon anytime recently, but it's definitely much more automated. I would have to imagine it's like going on eBay. You know what I mean? Like in terms of if yeah, I want to no, list no, something, anyone, like I don't need to talk to a human. And, yeah. Right. Anyone can go on and do, can sell at any point in like a few minutes. Right? Like no yeah. one's checking because yeah, well, because they don't care. You know what I mean? And that's the, right. And so that is the, look, I don't, I don't ever, we don't ever try to like make people feel guilty for shopping on Amazon. And I'll say from time to time, I do, if it is something like, you know, a couple years ago for Christmas, I hadn't like got my sister a food processor or she really wanted a food processor. I got it. And I waited and it was like two days and she was in Colorado and I was in Michigan at the time. I was home for Christmas and she wasn't able to be. So I was like, it's the 23rd and she really wanted this food processor. And I, I dropped the ball and I had all my other Christmas shopping, but I dropped the ball. So the one way I could get her that thing on Christmas was I'm, you know, like we, one done good. Doesn't, we don't know of any like ethically and sustainably made food processors. You know, right? Some of that sort of electronic stuff, like just the market, it's not there yet. There isn't an option. And Amazon was the way to get it to her in two days. So, you know, I get it. Sometimes there isn't an ethical or sustainable option available. Sometimes, you know, like me, you didn't plan everything ahead. You know what I mean, we, that's what we try to like say, look, there is an alternative. Uh, we don't have everything, but we hope people check done good first, you know, see if we have it and hopefully it'll be there in, you know, a few days, if not, not guaranteed two day free, but like in a few days. And so we can wait a couple extra days and we've got it. You know, we hope people will check there. And we, like I said, we try to make the experience as easy and convenient as we can as, as, as you know, close to Amazon in that respect as possible. But yeah, also knowing that your purchase is doing good for people on the planet, supporting supporting the kind of companies that you believe in and so that you can feel good about where your money is spending and, you know, where your money, the money you spend is going instead of, so not really knowing what it's supporting or knowing it's supporting, not, not great stuff. 
Yeah, I feel like I feel like every time you, we talk, I can I I want to make like five more points, but it's so easy to go on tangents with you. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> like, I know you're the host, but it doesn't have to be all me talking. <laughs> feel free. Well, I mean, like the Amazon thing is so. If you were to write off Amazon, you kind of have to write off some so many of your friends with it. You know what I mean? Like I I have in laws who just moved to like the middle of nowhere, um, on a small island, and they get. They get one prime drop off a week and they like live by that. Like, oh my like, God. Yeah, right. No, like that's, some they look the forward office. to it. They, <laughs> yeah, some places the post office doesn't even go. I mean, so look, I, like I said, I get it. I just, you know, obviously, I think there's better alternatives, both to Amazon as a company. I think like our company is cooler and, you know, doing better for people on the planet than Amazon. And just when you buy on Amazon, you just never, never know in most cases, like where this company is located or what the hell they're doing in it. You know, it might not be that bad. It also could be really bad. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, just because Amazon is the, well, the name's fitting. It's like the jungle out there, you know? You can get it from anywhere. And who knows? You know, look, it just is a fact. It could be child labor in that supply chain. You know, there could be, I mean, uh, modern day slavery, we could, you know, human trafficking, that's what it is. Modern day slavery is still a $150 billion a year global industry. And so, yeah, if you just kind of go on Amazon and grab something, like, you just, you just never know. You know? It'd be really nice if I knew where the stuff I was, you know, the, the the money I was spending was not supporting things that I don't believe in. And wouldn't it be wouldn't it be great if it was all easy and all in one place? You know, so okay, we we have that now. We don't have every every kind of product in the world yet, but we're we're working on it. You know, slowly but surely. Yeah, and there's definitely something comforting knowing that when you buy from a brand, you're buying from that brand versus like exactly what you just said you get these amazon packages that came from a third party that was selling that brand without even potentially permission it's like yeah Yeah. it's like a whole like if you have any issues then it's like what can you do about it yeah anyway yeah Yeah, like look even if you're yeah you have some issues and then it's like well this was some fly-by-night thing in malaysia and you know what i mean there's even that yeah it's like good luck Yeah. yeah Yeah. Um, so, okay. So going back a little bit, um, to the, <laughs> the purchasing power and like the impact of purchasing products off of done good, let's, let's walk back a little bit to what you were saying earlier where, so you've repeatedly, whenever we talk, told me that you believe in the power of purchases for good. What, what do you mean by these are obvious questions? Oh. What is so important to raise people out of poverty? Because well, yeah, no, but I, I think like, you know, I think more and more people, are realizing that, you know, their purchases make an impact. I think, you know, even like, I don't know, 10 years ago, definitely like a few decades ago, like, right, it was, that, that wasn't necessarily on people's radar. Now, people are in- increasingly becoming conscious consumers and being conscious that like, oh yeah, who I give my money to makes a difference. I think consumer spending is not just like a way to make change. I think it is the world's most powerful force for change. Like you, I mean, I, I know you, Mikhail, have heard me say this stat a lot, like, Americans gave $450 billion to charity last year. $450 billion. It's like, that's a, it's a ton of money. But we spent over 300 times more than that buying stuff. And so whatever issues we care about, you know, social justice, poverty, climate change, empowering women, empowering you know, people of color and, you know, black and personal color owned businesses or animal cruelty, like whatever, whatever the issue is, where we spend our money, that massive amount of resources that is 300 times greater than all the money given to all the nonprofits and all the charities, that is a huge mountain of resources. It's it's the world's most powerful force for change. Right? We're in a supply and demand economy. You know, most nations in the world are. And so whatever consumers uh, demand, the market supplies, right? 
And so now more and more people are demanding products, not just like, you know, good products at a good price, but also like with living wages. The more we demand products made with living wages, the more living wages we get. The more we demand products made that fight climate change, the more we fight climate change. The market supplies every anything we want. We have consumers have total power. We're 70% of the U.S. economy, the biggest economy in the world. Right. And so, I mean, I, I think ultimately, like, and this again, you know, after working in D.C. for all these years, you know, I think public policy is important. I think elections matter. I was happy with the outcome of the last election. You know what I mean? And also, are we going to get major sweeping legislation of the magnitude we need to combat climate change? I don't know. Still might not. Right. I think there's a good chance we don't, unfortunately, after working on it all this time. So I think changing business behavior is key. That's where you get most of like carbon emissions to fight climate change, right? Is changes to, you know, industry-wide, you know, changes in business behavior. One way is to legislate it. Maybe we can, but the other way is consumer demand, right? And you're seeing that all the time. There are more and more social impact brands, the kinds we work with, but even major corporations more and more are starting to market their, at least their sustainable line or their sustainable product, or at least, you know, making some moves in this direction because they know that this is where consumer spending is going. Nielsen put out a report a few years ago that said that this sort of stuff, like the impact of their purchases for a lot of consumers is starting to rival all the other you know, factors in their purchasing decision, like product, you know, specs and price. And they said brands who fail to recognize this will be left behind. You know, BlackRock a few years ago started saying they're not going to invest in companies if you can't at least articulate some kind of social mission or purpose for existing other than maximizing profit. And I think that more than any ideological shift that might happen in DC or, or, or you know, throughout the country, the biggest paradigm shift of our time will be this going away from the old 20th century Milton Friedman model where everyone said, yeah, that's business. You know, business exists to maximize profit at all costs and instead shift into a paradigm that says we expect businesses to be moral actors in the world. That's going to be the most important, impactful ideological shift of this century. But the thing that will drive that is consumer spending because businesses will start to recognize doing the right thing is the profitable thing. And when doing the right thing is the profitable thing, that's the thing that happens in a market economy. So look, who we give our money to as individuals is the biggest impact we have on the world. We give our money to someone, they do more of whatever it is they're doing. If they're keeping people locked in poverty, there's more poverty. If they're lifting people out of poverty, there's fewer people in poverty. That's just, that's the way it goes. And so, you know, that our, our collective purchasing power is the world's most powerful force for change. We're trying to make it easy for people to wield that power. And also, like I said, it's, it's both, it's, it's making that change in society, but it's also so each of us as individuals can feel good about what we're purchasing, right? Like I know that with this dollar, I'm supporting things I believe in instead of things I hate, right? So that's how I wanted to feel. And it's cool if we can help others feel that way too. Awesome. I mean, I think it's going to be hard not to ask you the next question then. We're recording. I mean, like, I feel like you're you're leading well into my segues here. We're recording yeah, this. Yeah, good. Glad I can oblige. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording this two days after the UN's pretty damning climate change impact report came out. How do you see the work that Done Good does in relation to impacts related to climate change. I mean, Greta yeah. Thunberg just came out and very harshly has harshly criticized fashion brands for their impact on global warming. Just curious if you have any thoughts on how how yes. the work you do relates to that. This is key to solving climate change, I think, right? Like all of us collectively using our purchasing power to hold businesses accountable and incentivize them to fight climate change. I, again, I think, look, it's going to take all this stuff. I mean, I do think we need, you know, we need systemic change from the, the world community. I'm so glad we're back in the Paris Accord and, you know, we need to hit those those commitments for sure. And, you know, actually we need to hit 
commitments above those, but at least at least hit those commitments. We need you know legislative fixes, but again, this this mountain of resources, this just trillions and trillions of dollars in consumer spending, we can we can change business behavior that way. It's absolutely a critical part of the solution, you know. And yeah, I know every year this climate this UN climate report comes out, and every year it's just like, oh man, we're just we're screwed. It's terrible, but it's not worse than last year's report. And unfortunately, next year's report is probably going to be worse if if things don't change, like right now. You know, and it's and it's tough not to be. I had my a buddy called me that morning. I was just like, dude, I'm just so demoralized. I'm like, I know, man. It's hard not to feel that way, you know. But like, look, you just you you get up and you you do you do whatever you can. You know what I mean? So like lobbying legislators, voting also where are you spending your money, right? Again, I think that's the biggest one of all the things of all the things we do. Yes, tweet. Post on TikTok, you know, march, vote, give to charity. Also, though, if we're not paying attention to where we're spending our money, you know, that's the biggest one. That's the biggest piece of all the pieces. Do all the pieces. We all need to do all the pieces. You know, but the biggest one is where we spend. So, yeah, look, I mean, that report said we're, we're already full degree Celsius hotter than we were at the dawn of the Industrial Revolution. The pace of that change is increasing every decade since the mid-1800s. Things are getting hotter. Like, I mean, there's just no anymore. They finally, they've said just like... It is fact that humans are causing climate change. This science consensus and this report is consensus from the scientific community and 195 countries have to sign on. I mean, I think there's only, I can't remember my geography, how many total, there's like 200 countries total. So, you know what I mean? Like this is the consensus of the world that this is true. So, I mean, there's no debate anymore. And the fact that like one of the major political parties in the U S still wants to debate, this is just, I don't know. Yeah, it's sad, but anyway, it's like not only have we we've gotten a degree hotter since the dawn of the industrial revolution, but we're going to go up another one and a half degrees in the just now the next few decades, regardless. Like even if countries started drastically cutting commissions now, so like another one and a half degrees is already locked in. Like climate change is already happening. We're already past the window to affect that, but now we're at least because we didn't act, you know, twenty years ago. But now we're getting into the window where it's like okay, we're we're at least partially screwed, but. If we act now, we can avoid, you know, the two degree, the three degree, the four degree. And at four degrees, I don't, you know, that doesn't sound like a lot. I'm sure a lot of your listeners already, you know, familiar with this. But four degrees Celsius average global temperature is bonkers catastrophe. You know, I mean, that's where, you know, even like in, a, in the few degree market, it's like, it's not just hotter. I mean, it is definitely more frequent life-threatening heat waves where people people die just because of the heat but it all you also then you start to get it you know and you get the the coasts flooded and all this and underwater and more severe weather you know hurricanes and floods and fires and all this then also you start getting into like food shortages right because you have you know impact on agriculture and arable land and immigration if people don't like immigration you need to you need to you address climate change because people will be leaving places in mass because they will become unlivable all right. And then, you, you know, you start talking about like major impacts to the whole global economy. Anyway, so, yeah, we all got to do all that stuff. And like I said, I think, you know, our purchasing power, where we put our money is a is a huge part of that for all the reasons I I said a second ago. Right. And so and we all it's just we all have to do all the things we can now, you know, can't do everything all the time. I know that, you know, it's like, well, I don't know. There are some people who are doing like total zero waste and like total carbon neutral or reduction like living. It's a hard thing to do in modern society, but like what we all can do is march, tweet, vote, pay attention to where we're spending our money, lobby our legislators. And I think we're, we're making progress with the world 
understanding the seriousness of the problem and need to act slowly the action is catching up it needs to move more quickly so we all we all do what we can but yeah i mean uh, i guess to answer your question directly how do our how does our work fit yeah i mean consumer goods when they're produced create carbon emissions and so we need systemic change throughout industries where they become a part of the solution instead of a part of the problem and yeah, fashion's a big one. There's that stat that gets that, that gets thrown around that fashion, second most polluting industry behind big oil. That's actually not true. And there's like different ways to measure it, whatever. But yes, they are major polluters. And so are other kinds of um, consumer goods products. And again, we're 70% of the economy. Again, now buying from companies that are zero waste or making from upcycled products or in other ways are the solution to climate change. And then signaling to the market, to major corporations that there is consumer demand for these products. That's a huge part of the solution. That was a very well-spoken response. Thanks. I, you know, I feel like I don't know if I'm going on rants with this stuff, but like, obviously this is what I do every day. So like, I, you know, I got some certain feelings about it. You know what I mean? But look, I guess, obviously, I, I mean, I quit my career to do this because I believe in it. It wasn't like, you know what I mean? I didn't draw, draw this uh, this out of a hat. You know, I was like, what do I think, what do I genuinely think could potentially make the biggest impact? A lot of consumers changing their purchasing habits and making businesses change their behavior. I think that's the world's most powerful force for change. So like, that's why I do this thing. You know, so like... I, it never surprises me that you, you left your career in press as well. You like poli- uh, political, what, press secretary? I don't even know how to phrase that. Press secretary, communications director, kind of different, different words for the same thing. I, mean, I was a spokesman for politicians. I like being a spokesman for this better. (laughs) (laughs) So with your answer in mind, what is Dungood's role in sort of communicating the impact globally that these purchases can have for each buyer or each person who comes to the website? I think it's, it's a range of people who come to the site who like some are like kind of steeped in this stuff and know they're looking for, you know, maybe they even have Mm -hmm. some, they know some of our brands already, but they're interested in finding more. Two, I think there are some people who like are sort of, you know, just like coming to the idea, just, just you know, fully understanding the way that their purchasing makes an impact on the rest of the world. So I don't know. It's a big, it's a big, uh, it's a big spectrum, right? And I think, yeah, I don't know. Look, I mean, it's we try to articulate some of this, you know, stuff as best we can in our communications and really drive home, right? That like. I mean, again, we believe that this is the world's most powerful force for change. This is the biggest way we all impact the world. And it is a huge part of the solution on climate change, on global global poverty, on a lot of these other things. And so, yeah, we try to communicate that message. And the people who use Done Good, they get it. And I think it is a double-pronged thing. Like I've mentioned, it's one, that collectively we can all make an impact. But two, even as an individual, like I want to know that the purchases I make are in line with my beliefs and supporting things I want in the world. And so they're related, but of course, both, right? I mean, one is cool with a bunch of us, we can really make an impact, but regardless, I want to know that like my actions, whatever they are, my purchasing decisions, but like, whatever, you know what I mean? Like are generally in line and contributing to the things that I believe in as opposed to, as opposed to not. That's the thing, even like when I was working in DC all those years, it's like all day I'm working for, I was on the left, I was working for Democrats. Right? I'll just say, you know, all day I'm, so I'm fighting for economic equality and you know, the fight against climate change and things. And then they give me a paycheck for that. And then I'm giving my money to whom? Maybe people that are fighting directly against what I'm fighting for every day. You know what I mean? I'm funding my own opposition. I don't want to do that. Tell us about Done Good being a B Corp and why that was important to you. And like, what's the ongoing retention status and also like reporting? Like, what is it? What is it? What goes into being a B Corp? Sure. Yeah. So becoming a B Corp, I mean, that was important to us. That so, so B Corp, if you're a certified B Corp, 
then you're certified by the independent nonprofit called B-Lab that you are, you know, social and environmental impact is positive for the world. Now they're, you know, a little different from us. They do an overall, they do, they do like, they do more like point score type stuff. Right. And so it's like a battery of these like 200 and some questions that you have to answer. And then they give different points each question. But that was one where it was like when we were talking about like coming up with our own like point score and stuff, you do start to realize like B-Lab has done a really good job of making that B-Corp process, you know, like as objective as they can. But then it's like, well, for different industries, we have to, to ask different questions. And they've kind of evolved on that over the years. And I think gotten better at that. But they're still still evolving on it. You know, you can always get better. Some Some questions just don't apply to every company, right? As much as you try to make this sort of like, a cookie cutter thing because it's so objective. So then it's more objective. Like, you know, I don't know some companies, this is like the questions they ask don't, don't quite apply or they apply in a weird way. Like for example, before we made any money, one of the questions is what percent of your revenue comes from your social impact? And I said, well, we haven't started, like we started pre-revenue, right? We just wanted to build a, a base of companies and products and then build a customer base and so we weren't charging brands to come on at first, right? We were just like, brands, hey, come on for free and sell your products. So great. We got a lot of brands on. Then we could get users on because you need, you know, double-sided marketplace. You, gotta, you need you need the brands to get the users, you need the users to get the brands. So that was how we kind of solved that. But so one of the questions on that, that assessment was, what percent of your revenue comes from social impact? I said, well, 100% will come from it because our whole social impact is helping consumer dollars go to companies that are alleviating poverty and fighting climate change, et cetera. And they said, well, but what, how much revenue have you made now? I said, well, $0. But I said, so, okay. They said, well, but yeah, then that's, then that's 0%. And that was like, you know, 10 points out of, I think the most you can get is like 200, right? So that question alone was 10 points out of 200, right? So it'd be like a huge swing either way. I said, what do you mean? Like, that's not 0%. Well, zero divided by zero is 0%. No, actually it's infinity. I don't know, right? Isn't it? Like, so, so like that sort of stuff gets tricky, right? And so we were able to like, before we got certified, we made our first $10. And I said, okay, now it's $10, that's $10, 100%. Great, now we get the 10 points. You know what I mean? So there's just always going to be that sort of like tricky stuff, you know? But like, for the most part, look, I mean, they, they really, I mean, done as good of a job as you can at making like defining good an objective thing that, you know, you can apply to thousands of businesses in the same way. You know, it's like, it's just, it's a tough thing. So, but anyway, you, you answer those 200 plus questions and then, yeah, then you talk to somebody on the phone over there really. And, you know, you go through kind of some of those trickier, more subjective questions and they decide if you get the points or whatever. They're a little different too in that, you know, I think you need 80 points to be a B Corp. You could like max out, you could be, you could have like 90 points in environment and then like lower in, in workers or governance and some of the other categories or vice versa. And you still get to be the B Corp. For us, we still need to see solid work in, on both people and planet, both workers and the environment. But anyway, like, so yeah, you, you go through that, you, you answer the questions, you talk with people there at B-Lab and then they give you your point score. And if you get over the, the score, then you're certified. You're also a public benefit corporation, which means that's a legal designation, right? Instead of like LLC or an Inc., you know, like a regular C Corp or S Corp or any of these, we're a public benefit corporation. We're done good PBC instead of done good Inc. or done good LLC. And what public benefit corporation means is that that's the legal designation. Like I said, it's what kind of business you're incorporated with the state as. It's, it's kind of newer. Only, I still think it's like 30 some states have this designation. Some still don't. And B-Lab has done a good job of advocating for states to, to create this designation. Anyway, so when you legally incorporate, then you have a social mission baked into your corporate charter. So you're essentially like legally required to fulfill your social mission. And it also gives a company the freedom 
to not have to just maximize shareholder profit, right? Like a big part of the problem is major companies. Well, this is why impact investing is also really important. Whether it's, you know, you have a lot of money, you're like, you know, an angel investor or VC fund or whatever, but also just for our own, you know, our own 401ks, and our own retirement savings and whatever other investments we have, having some kind of screen, right? That's another way that our money really makes a difference in what kind of companies we support and what kind of impact we have on the world. Just as a quick aside on that. So impact investing, also huge. And of course, where we choose to work, companies really want to articulate a social mission because they want to attract top talent. So all that's where we spend our money, where we invest our money, who we work for, right? So public benefit corporation gives you the freedom to not have to maximize shareholder value. I mean, I do, right? Like we, if you take outside investment, which Dungood has, we have a fiduciary responsibility, like any company, to work to get a return to our investors. However, we have an equal responsibility to pursue our social mission because that's also in our charter. And as a PBC, we're legally required to pursue our social mission. So we absolutely can not maximize shareholder value if it's in pursuit of our social mission. And I think that, you know, that's a big part of the problem, right? You've got companies that, well, we got to increase the stock price every quarter. So how can we wring more profit out of whatever, you know, well, you can start cutting corners, you can lay people off, or you can pay people less, or you can move your production facility to somewhere where you're, you know, paying a, a you know, poverty wage in, in some, in a developing country somewhere, you can start dumping it in the river. You know what I mean? You can, you can, uh, you can use worse material that has a larger carbon footprint. So, um, but you know, well, we increased the stock price of, you know, 50 cents this quarter. So it was all worth it. Right. So the, the public benefit corporation, I think is an important part of the movement too. you know, part of this broader business as a force for good movement, because then companies legally are required to pursue their social mission and, uh, and aren't required to maximize profit all the time. It's definitely interesting. I, I didn't, I definitely didn't realize the nuance between a PBC and like a, a benefit. A certified B Corp, right? That's yeah. They're both, they're both called benefit corporations, but one is the certified B Corp. That means you went through this certification process with the nonprofit B Lab. The other, anyone can do, you could be any kind of business doing anything, but when you incorporate, you have that social mission in your charter and you're obligated to pursue it. And you don't have to maximize profit for shareholders. I mean, you do, unless, you know, it's not like you just don't, you don't have any responsibility to shareholders. Yeah. The people invest in you, you have a, look, I think it's also a done good value that you like, you know, try to do your best for the people who help support you. We were actually really lucky to assemble a group like social impact investors who care about our mission and that's why they're, that's why they're involved. So we've, we sought out folks like that from the beginning too. And I mean, this sort of thing, like what we're doing, that's why, that's why you get involved. Um, but look, I'm glad that the that PBC designation, benefit corporation legal designation is there because it does give companies some, you know, more leeway and responsibility to pursue that social mission that they set out with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Whenever we talk, certainly talk for like three hours. Yeah, um, no, for sure. Yeah. One, one day we'll we'll have a drink in person. I know, I can't, still can't believe we have it. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like we have. Yeah, right, um, exactly, yeah. So let's see, I'm totally going to pivot just, just in the interest of time. So for lots of e-commerce retailers during the pandemic, the pandemic has definitely exploded growth as people have shifted online. Do you think this is something done good has seen? Yeah, we didn't see the same. Well, I know one, I think you got to look below those numbers a little bit. Yeah. People say, oh my God, e-commerce is up 10,000%. Are you guys like, you know, rich now? (laughs) I mean, like, no. Uh, But, you know, under that sort of 10,000% e-commerce increase, that was because like, grocery was up or, or I mean, you know, yeah, grocery was up 20,000% or whatever. Right. It's like, uh, but clothing was down 15%. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, some of the other stuff, like the kinds of products we sell were down. So overall e-commerce was up, but it was because people were ordering 
their groceries online now for the first time, more so than like they're buying more shirts or whatever. And because also we weren't going out, so we didn't need as many shirts. And I think some of the economic uncertainty or for whatever reason, we definitely saw a lot of our higher dollar discretionary items drop, you know, like selling a lot fewer, like really nice $150 sweaters, you know what I mean? But we were, I mean, look, we, we, we're the marketplace. We sell what our brands sell. So some of our, we're able to get up and running by, you know, selling masks pretty quickly and selling hand sanitizer. And we've always sold bar soap and stuff like that. But so sales for that stuff. So yes, we did, we did see sales go up during COVID, uh, but it wasn't like some crazy, it was like, you know, the, the masks and the hand sanitizer and the bar soap collectively was able to like somewhat a little bit make up for, you know, the, um, the, uh, the drop in some of the other categories like clothing and things. Yeah. Especially when you think about the price point of what you just described. Well, right. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. I don't know if you know, some people are worried about their jobs, but like I said, even if you're not, it's just like, well, if I'm not going out for a couple months, why am I buying new sweaters? You know, yeah, pajamas, sure. pajamas, maybe, maybe I need some new loungewear, maybe I need some new sweatpants, you know, I don't need to be dressed to the nines. Where am I going? You know? So yeah, that's how, that's how that it all kind of worked out for us. By, by the holidays last year is when things sort of started to return to normal in terms of what people were purchasing, right? Cause you're still buying gifts. And then, you know, even, even by like the spring, I mean, you know, that last winter post Christmas, you know, the first part of the year, we were still selling masks, but like other things started to return more to normal. And then we saw a huge drop off in masks, of course, like in May, when people stopped wearing them. I hope our drop off in masks stays. I hope we don't start selling more masks because of, you know, the Delta variant or some other variant. I really hope people get vaccinated because that's really the thing that'll end all this. And so that I, we don't have to sell any more masks, you know what I mean, right? Like, but if it does continue to spread like this through the unvaccinated population, boy, I really hope there isn't a, a variant that beats the vaccine and we have to start all this over at square one. If so, I'm sure our mask sales will, will skyrocket. That's a thing I don't want, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. It'd be great to get back to a little bit, any sense of normal. And so do you feel like in terms of the e-commerce environment that you guys are existing in right now, that it is a little more of a consistency versus definitely yeah. last March had like, yeah. Things seem more normal and sales. Things, and then, yeah. things are more normal now, for sure. That's right. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the sales and the product mix and and things like that, I think things have most pretty much returned to normal. Excuse me. Yeah, I think we're it's kind of back to normalcy in terms of the kinds of products we're selling, and in terms of you know our lives, my life. I was returning to normalcy this summer too. I went to a show at Red Rocks. I'm, I'm based in Denver. You know, a few weeks ago, and it was awesome. <laughs> so good after two years to be back there. You know, and like. Yeah, I've heard uh, that's you know, not me just doing my PSA. I really hope people get vaccinated because that's the thing that stops mutation, right? If it's not spreading quickly among an unvaccinated population like it is now, we don't get new variants. And then we don't have to shut down the economy again. We don't have to wear masks again. We don't have to all stay at home again. And so I really hope people get vaccinated for that reason. Plus also, again, I'm totally off the rail, but it's just because there's an audience. Like the Delta variant is impacting people more younger right the average age i think of hospitalizations in florida or something like that i could be getting that wrong but like wherever it was was 42 i just saw an article a few days ago right so like and that's almost the people getting hospitalized are almost exclusively unvaccinated so to protect yourself and also so that we don't have to sit inside again <laughs> like please there's my there's my, there's my off topic psa sorry <laughs> Honestly, I could ask you 20 more questions. I think I think I'm going to conclude for today. Appreciate the PSA and the the conversation. Um, yeah, no, me too. It's fun. It's fun. I, I appreciate you having me on, so we can talk to you more. 
thanks, Colin, so much for joining me today. And definitely uh, appreciate the thoughtful feedback and especially some definitely food for thought related to some of the impact purchasing decisions really have. It's the biggest (laughs) impact we make on the world, our purchases. Did I say that? I'm not sure if I remembered to say. No, I'm just joking. Thank you for having me on and, you know, let me say what I think about things, <laughs> rant a little bit. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. If anybody listening wants to check out dungood.com, we usually do um, discount codes anytime I'm on a podcast. So we could do one for you. Uh, we could do like artisan 20. So anybody listening who wants to go to dungood.com and use the discount code artisan 20 can get 20 bucks off purchases over a hundred bucks. So now you can, you know, save the world a little bit, right? And do good for people on the planet with your purchase and also save 20 bucks. So again, we'll use the code artisan20. Yeah, anybody listening to this, use that code and, and get 20 bucks off at, no, I'm plugging the website maybe one too many times, but <laughs> dungood.com. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. No, it's a, it's a great discount. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. We're glad for it. We're glad if, you know, people will come and check us out. Ah!